So welcome back. And I'd like to move now to a theme which uh, can bring tie together everything we've talked about today. And I'm calling this uh, Living with Hope. And I want to introduce this by looking at a page from the writings of St. John Paul II, which is the page that I go back to more than anything else in his writings throughout the, um, the 27 years of his pontificate. I was blessed to have some personal contact with him in that I did my studies in Rome, as I mentioned, and I had just been ordained a deacon when he was uh, elected Pope. And over the course of that year, was able to serve mass for him three times in St. Peter's, twice in St. Peter's and once in the Jesuit church in Rome, which was a really privileged opportunity uh, to get to know him. You know, um, I may say this parenthetically, what I would do standing there at the altar when I wasn't occupied liturgically, I would, I'd say almost shamelessly, well, yeah, shamelessly just stare at him, just taking in the image of this man so profoundly in prayer. St. John Paul II had a custom, however, from time to time, uh, he would suddenly um, look up from this profound recollection of, of in prayer and he would gaze about him with a gaze of just piercing awareness. He knew that this man was alive to and aware of everything around him. And when he would do that, I would just quickly drop my eyes, uh, of course, only to raise them again as soon as he bowed again in his prayer, focus again on his prayer. But he's always had a very, very dear place in my, my life uh, because of the way his life was so interwoven with the first 20, 12, 26 years of my priesthood, of course, um, and you couldn't uh, meet him and not, not really love him. I'll say this too, that even today, from time to time, if I get to a time when I'm feeling discouraged or uh, sometimes what I'll do is go on YouTube and uh, Google St. John Paul II and just watch some footage, especially of John Paul II interacting with people, uh, with young people, it's very beautiful, but with everyone. And uh, what you see there, his smile, uh, his, his, his warmth, his welcome, uh, is, is always, always sort of lifts you up. In any case, I want to go back now to the um, passage in his writings, to which personally I go back more than any other. And this is in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope. This came out in 1994. Some of us may remember uh, we're used now to having popes write books. John Paul II did several more. Pope Benedict uh, did them, and uh, Pope Francis has book-length book -length interviews. So th this has become something we're used to these days, but it was new then in our lifetime when this came out in 1994. I remember the sense of excitement. The pope has written a book. You know? And the book actually came about because... Um, John Paul II, all this was also uh, sort of revolutionary, had agreed to do a television interview with an Italian journalist. And in preparation for this, the journalist had put together the questions that he would ask the Holy Father and had sent them to the Holy Father so that the Holy Father could reflect on them ahead of time. In fact, the interview never happened. The Pope's schedule just never allowed it. And the journalist thought, well, that was that. Two years, however, after he sent in these questions, questions to his surprise and to the delight of us all, the Pope gave us this book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, in which he 
had written out his answers to these questions. Now, the chapter that I'll focus on is the chapter entitled, Do Not Be Afraid, or Be Not Afraid, either way we say that. And the journalist is homing in on the fact that the Holy Father, from his inaugural homily in St. Peter's um, in 1978, had already cited these words of Jesus, do not be afraid, open the portals of your hearts to Jesus. Um, he knows what is in man and all the rest that he said then, but this phrase, do not be afraid. Um, and he had been repeating that over and over to the church and the world in the subsequent years. And so the journalist's question essentially is this, your holiness, you've been saying to the church for years now and to the world, do not be afraid. You see everything that's happening in this church, in, in, in the church and in the world. Um, natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, tsunamis, uh, political upheaval, revolutions, wars, nations torn apart by civil strife. You see a culture struggling in, in so many ways. You see broken hearts, broken families, cultures uh, suffering in so many ways. How can you say to the people of this world, living in the midst of so many dangers and threatening to become more dangerous, how can you say to the people of this world, do not be afraid? And I think that question, it's a good journalist question. I think it's even more contemporary today than in, let's say, the early 1990s when the journalists crafted it for the Holy Father. Now, in his answer, the Holy Father begins by saying, when I first said those words, do not be afraid, in St. Peter's, the day I was installed as Pope, I myself had no idea how far those words would go in my papacy. It was more moved by the Holy Spirit than I said them then. And then he begins to approach the answer to the question, how can you say to the people of this world, do not be afraid? And he writes, have no fear of that which you yourselves have created. And we certainly often do have a fear of that now. Have no fear of all that man has produced and that every day is becoming more dangerous for him. Now you might wanna to say to the Holy Father at this point, you recognize that what man has produced is becoming more dangerous for him every day. And certainly we can add from 1994 to the present, all the, biogenetical manipulations, the proliferation of increasingly dangerous weapons and so forth. You recognize that what man is producing is becoming every day more dangerous for him. How can you say have no fear of this then? Again, an important question. Finally, he says, have no fear of yourselves. And I love this sentence. It's the fear we've been speaking about since this morning. It's not the only fear that we, that we undergo, but I think for many of us, it really, and speaking reverently, it is the deepest. Have no fear of yourselves. I should be here, Lord, and supply the nuances. I'm not, I'm down here. I'm not generous enough. I don't respond enough. All the different things that we know in our lives and that weigh upon us and that make us afraid as we come close to God or feel God's approach to us. Finally, have no fear of yourselves. How can you say that, Holy Father? Same question. 
As I said earlier, it's the fear of St. Peter in the boat. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Maybe these others can be this close to you, but not me. I know how I've lived. I know who I am. And Jesus says exactly these words to him. Do not be afraid. And then the Holy Father addresses the question squarely. Why should we have no fear? Because we have been redeemed by God. And I deliberately am not adding too much text too quickly here. Because we have been redeemed by God. Which tells us that the relationship between the sources of fear in this world and what's going to help us overcome them is going to be the redemption. In the redemption, we find the most profound basis for the words, do not be afraid, in the redemption. That's the most profound basis for the words, do not be afraid. If we can really get a hold of this truth, truth, this is the truth of the world and of history and of today and tomorrow. If we can get a hold of this burdens and lift from our hearts. And, the re and, and you know, let's keep in mind, and this is partly why this was so powerful for me, because I knew that this man, uh, Pope John Paul II, knew everything that I did about the world and that made me afraid and knew an awful lot more than I did. Look at his life experience, what he went through in World War II and the Nazi occupation, communism and so forth. This was a man who knew the world, who knew what was dangerous. And yet this was the man who was saying to us, uh, do not be afraid. Why? Because we have been redeemed by God in the redemption. You find the most profound basis for the words, do not be afraid. The redemption is the entirety of the work of Christ, his birth, his life. But his crowning moment is his death on Good Friday and his resurrection. That is the heart of what we mean when we speak of the resurrection, of the redemption, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus with his victory over death. Over death. In the redemption, we find the most profound basis for the words, do not be afraid. Now, if you look at the pontificate of John Paul II, this was something else that gradually became apparent to me over the years. You will find that this thread of the redemption runs through everything. And we don't have to look any further than the title of his doc titles of his documents. The first document he gave the church, the Redeemer of Man, cyclical. The mission of the Redeemer on the missionary activity of the church in the world. The mother of the Redeemer is encyclical, his letter on Mary. The gift of redemption, the guardian of the Redeemer, speaking about St. Joseph. Over and over and over you see that for St. John Paul II, the center of everything was the redemption, the cross and resurrection of Christ. And he goes on to understand this in the light of this classic John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the redemption. This son is always present in the history of humanity as redeemer. And this too is key. So the redemption is not just something that happened 2000 years in the past and remains as a kind of blessing, even a wonderful blessing as uh, its grace, um, as a grace in the past. But the grace of the redemption when it happened is always present at every moment in the history of the world. 
This son is always present in the history of humanity as redeemer. The redemption pervades all of human history. It is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The redemption pervades all of human history, which is to say, when you watched the news yesterday or listened to the news or went through the pages of the daily paper, the deepest truth of everything that has ever happened in human history that is happening today and that will ever happen in human history is the redemption. It's the center of everything. It pervades all of human history. This son, Jesus, is present in all of human history as redeemer. And that redemption, the power of that grace that is present every day in human history, it's the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And I think it's apparent then why a spirituality that returns willingly and frequently to the redemption as central, the power of the cross, the resurrection, the redemption of Christ is going to become the spirituality of hope and is going to become the portrayer of a message that we need not live in fear as uh, St. John Paul II so powerfully was in his lifetime. And then that leads him to this sentence, which is the single sentence in his writings that I go back to more than any other. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection. So that's the redemption. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection. That's the redemption. Is greater than any evil we can or should fear. And I love the, the realism of that sentence. It recognizes that there are evils in the world that we can fear more. There are evils in the world that we should fear. But above all, it recognizes that there is a power in the world that is greater than any of them. And that is the power, the grace, the power, the spiritual energy, the love, the closeness of God unleashed in the cross and resurrection of Christ or in the redemption. And that's why we can live in this world without fear. Yes, there are evils that we can fear and should fear, but more deeply than any of them, there is a sense of surety because the power of Christ's cross and resurrection, his redemption is present every day in the history of the world. It's something that I'm so glad to come back to uh, frequently because it's something that is the deepest reason why I understand that I don't need to live in fear. It's a journey like you, I'm still on that journey, but to know that there is a solid reason why the deepest truth of human history underlies the fact that we can live without fear that changes so much in our lives. And then that leads the Holy Father a little later in this chapter to the sentence from which the title of the book is taken. Now, you, you see the italicized words there. The Holy Father did this a lot in his writing and he wanted to emphasize things. So he says, if this is the case, it is very important. And I'd say today with the virus and the uncertainties and everything that we're dealing with in the church, the sufferings of the church and in the world, and all the uncertainties, economic, political, cultural, everything that lies ahead, it is truly very important. It is very important to cross the threshold of hope, not to stop before it. 
I, I could all, I could hope if I see that, how can I hope? No, it is very important to cross the threshold of hope, not to stop before it, but to let oneself be led. And this is my image. Here is a home and inside the home is a group of people, family maybe with some friends. And let's say it's evening and um, the lights are on and the family is gathered around table maybe uh, for an evening meal. And outside on the street, here is a person who is alone. And here she stands outside feeling the isolation and the darkness and the cold. And this person walks up, hesitatingly up those steps, reaches the threshold of the door that would give entrance into the house and stops. Everything in him, everything in her, wants to move out of the cold and dark and isolation and loneliness, across the threshold into the warmth and the light and the communion and the sharing and the laughter. It is very important to cross the threshold of hope, not to stop before it, but to let oneself be led. And then so much changes in our lives when we do this. I will be personally forever grateful to John Paul II for many things, maybe almost centrally for this. That is that over the 27 years of his pontificate, I gradually began to see a pattern. So for example, I might look at the younger generations and be afraid of what's happening, all the, the disarray and the struggles, all the things chronicled in the abundant writing today um, about this depression and all these different things that are, that are there and say, what's going to happen? And then I'd see the Holy Father meet literally on World Youth Days and at other times with millions of young people and say to them, you are the hope, knowing them obviously much better than I. I would look at what's happening in the church, defining mass attendance and the struggles of the church, especially in the first world, vocations and so forth, and say, what's going to happen? And I would see the Holy Father say, new springtime, repeating that joyfully, energetically, um, within us, awakening a sense of hope. I again would look at the struggles and the sufferings of the church and where our culture is headed and so forth and say, what's going to happen? And the Holy Father would say, new evangelization, time for a whole new energy with new ways to bring the gospel to people. And gradually I began to realize that you can live in this world with your eyes wide open on the world, well in touch with what's happening, and you can live in this world with hope. You can cross the threshold of hope. And you can do that by a constant return to the redemption, to the power of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, which is always present in the world. And I think it was only appropriate that when that massive biography was written of John Paul II, probably the definitive biography. This was the title given to a witness to hope because he so abundantly was that for so many throughout his life. Now, I'd like to look at a couple of texts from Venerable Bruno. So if you would take 
on uh, page 11 of the handout, let's look at a couple of these texts. Okay. And this first one is taken from his personal spiritual directory. This is a text that he wrote when he was uh, 22, 23 years old. And it's a program of spiritual life that he put together for himself. And the reason I started with John Paul II here was because you'll see all of that is contained um, in the approach that Venerable Bruno is going to take. So what he's considering at this point is what if I, he has these high goals for a holy spiritual life, what if I fail? Now, you can already tell him how he's going to answer this uh, from the letters to Gabriella that we saw. If I should fall even a thousand times, I got angry again this morning and again and again. And with family members when I got home and it was like that last week. Or my prayer slipped again or I got impatient again. Or I just uh, was more self-centered than I should have been. And whatever, whatever it might be. If I should fall even a thousand times, I will not lose courage. So that's the discouragement, the losing of courage. That's the real danger in the spiritual life. That's why he insists so much on it. Never simply allow yourself to sit in discouragement. There's always a way forward. If I should fall even a thousand times, I will not lose courage. I will not be troubled. But I will always say, and look at the words, immediately, without waiting, and with peace, nunc chepi, now I begin. My God, I have acted in accord with what I am. What else could you have expected from me? I'm weak. It makes me think of the kinds of things that St. Therese says about herself and her weakness. Uh, and this is really very close to Therese. Uh, my weakness is not an obstacle. In fact, she says it's my very weakness that is the source of my confidence because I bring that so trustingly to Jesus and open that to him to receive his mercy, that elevator that will lift me up. My God, I have acted in accord with what I am. What else could you have expected from me? Nor would I have stopped here if you had not held me back. Act now in accordance with what you are. And this next is beautiful. I do not desire to think so poorly of you that I could think that you allow yourself to be conquered by my faults. I don't want to think of you in such a small way to think that my faults, even repeated a thousand times, could ever conquer your heart, the love that's in your heart, the mercy, the warmth, the tenderness, the closeness. I don't want to think of you so poorly that way that I could think that you would allow yourself to be conquered by my faults when I know that you hold my conversion and salvation so deeply at heart. And now uh, this next quote is from a program for her spiritual life that he wrote for a lay woman. So he's writing in her voice here. The I would be this uh, woman herself as she reads this, applying this to herself. If I should fall a thousand times a day, and how's he gonna continue? A thousand times a day, I will begin again. This is where the woman that I mentioned said, it's just wonderful to realize I don't have to wait till tomorrow. I can begin again right now. A thousand times a day, I will begin again with new awareness of my weakness, certainly, 
promising God with a peaceful heart. So the sense of anguish, how could I, I felt it in me, none of this. No matter if I keep falling and falling and falling, promising God with a peaceful heart to amend my life, Lord, I'll, I'll do my best, I'll try again. I will never think of God as if he were of our condition. And you know, if I may say it reverently, I think that I do this, I think that we tend to do this unconsciously, but we do it. I will never think of God as if he were of our condition and grows weary of our wavering, weakness, and negligence. In other words, here is a person who um, is always late. And we know, you know, we're supposed to meet at three. We know this person's going to be late and keep us all waiting. Here is another person who can never make up her mind. Um, she delays and dallies and she's unsure. She makes a decision, goes back on it. We get tired of these things fairly quickly. Here is a person who says, I'll have this part of the project ready for you by that time. And you know, it's not gonna be there on time um, and so forth. We get tired of these things fairly quickly. And Venerable Bruno says, we tend to think that God is like that with us. And he's really touched on something real there because we do tend to think very easily that God is like that with us. And this is what he's saying to this woman. No, I'm, I'm never gonna think of God as if he were this way. I will never think of God as if he were of our condition and grows weary of our wavering, weakness, and negligence. Rather, this is what I will think of. I will think of what is truly characteristic of him and what he prizes most highly. That is his goodness and mercy, knowing that he is a loving father who understands our weakness, is patient with us and forgives us. When Venerable Bruno speaks of God as father, this too is touching something very deep in his experience. As I mentioned, his mother died when he was very young and he was essentially raised by his father and there was a deep bond of affection between father and son. I suspect um, that when you see him describing God as a loving father here, one who understands our weakness, is patient with us and forgives us, that we may be seeing echoes of his father Pietro here. His father Pietro was um, a doctor, a very competent doctor, and above all, uh, um, a very, a very good Catholic, a very devout Catholic, very faithful, um, and a man of integrity who raised his son uh, profoundly in his Catholic faith. So the experience of fatherhood within his family for Venerable Bruno speaks to something very warm in his heart. And then the second father that he had, his spiritual father, was a Jesuit, Father Nicolaus von Diesbach, a Swiss Jesuit, who, if his cause were undertaken, and if enough information could be found, I think uh, quite certainly is canonizable, uh, really a saintly priest, and whose life lies at the origin of a great deal of many other, of many other holy men and women uh, who were formed by his disciples, who in turn formed others. And for 20 years, he was the spiritual director for Venerable Bruno. Again, he was privileged to have a wise, warm, loving father as his spiritual father. So that when he thinks of God as father, it has all of that connotation of warmth, of closeness, of dependability, of desire for your good. And so he says, that's the way that we'll, uh, I'll think of God uh, and, and not as if he were of our own. And that will allow me if I should fall a thousand times a day, 
a thousand times a day to begin again. If you'll flip the page, time up will allow us just to do a little bit more because I do want to leave a little time for questions. Uh, so this will be on page 12. And this will be the second full quote. Um, yeah, let's just take a look at these next three quotes. Uh, so this is this one, say then with boldness. Here he's writing to a woman and a good faithful woman, but living in a difficult situation and uh, prone to discouragement. And it's a year's beginning letter. So um, of course, it's a time of beginnings as the new year begins. And he says to her, say then with boldness, now I begin and go forward constantly in God's service. Do not look back so often because one who looks back cannot run. Nice, uh, nice image, try it sometime. Try um, uh, running, looking back. And if you try it, I, I'm not gonna do it here because there's a camera, so I've got to stay right where I am. But uh, on one time when I was sharing this with people, I mimicked that and we all started laughing. Uh, one of two things will happen. You'll either just start laughing or you'll fall down when you try to do this. And this is what he's saying to her. Uh, don't keep looking back at how you could have done this better or where you failed there. Don't keep looking back because if you do that, you can't run forward. Say, now I begin and go forward with courage and say it with boldness, not with hesitation. Say it with boldness and go forward every day in God's service. Do not be content to begin only for this year. Begin every day because it is for every day, even for every hour of the day that the Lord taught us to say in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses and give us this day our daily bread. To the same woman in a different letter, be on guard against discouragement and lack of trust. For Venerable Bruno, as I said, this is the key uh, obstacle in the spiritual life, discouragement. Be on guard against discouragement and lack of trust. Strive to do well all that you do but do this with respect for your humanity. This is another thing I love in him. Not, not, no, white knuckling, last exhausted, bit of energy squeezed out at enormous effort. No. Remember he says that do, do, do all of this, live your spiritual life with respect for your humanity, a humanity that God so loved, loved so much that he actually took it upon himself. But do this with respect. So yes, strive to do well all that you do, but, but do this with respect for your humanity without striving for an impossible perfection, focusing simply on the day at hand. Remember that, I, I love this verse. Uh, this is Proverbs 24, verse 16, I believe. Remember that the just man falls seven times a day. And we do, I do, you do, we all do. And so you will find, and there's no discouragement in that because all we need to do is just get up and begin again with peace. And so you will find blessing in beginning not only every day, but every hour. And then finally, holiness does not consist in never failing. It's so important for us to know that. We tend to think that if I go through the day just being loving all day, that's a holy day. No, holiness doesn't mean that we're never gonna fall. We are going to, the just man falls seven times a day. Holiness does not consist in never failing, but in rising when, in rising immediately, recognizing our weakness and asking God's forgiveness, and in doing this with peace of heart, 
without letting ourselves be troubled. Obviously, there's a lot more in that handout. Uh, you can go through that at your own leisure. But I do want to point out a few resources. Uh, if you'd like to pursue further the person, the life, and the spiritual teaching of Venerable Bruno, here are some ways that you can do it. Of course, there's this book, Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement. In, um, in that book, what I do is give, I think it's 114 quotations from his spiritual writings, the kind of thing that we've been going through today with uh, the kind of commentary that we've also given today. So you, you'd have it all there in a single volume. And if you'd like to get to know his life better, then this is a full-length biography, Begin Again, The Life and Spiritual Legacy of Bruno Lanteri. Um, all of these books are available anywhere. The books are available, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstores, um, my own website, so on. So these are all easily available. And then um, a few years ago, I did a series of podcasts on Venerable Bruno. Probably many of us are familiar with uh, discerninghearts.com and the corresponding Discern Discerning Hearts app. It's an excellent resource uh, produced by uh, Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts. It's all, all good, solid spiritual uh, material on there and just a wealth. I think she's up to something like 3,000 podcasts, something like that at this point. And um, we did a series, I think it was 16 half hour podcasts on the life and teaching of Venerable Bruno, which is entitled Begin Again. So if you go on that website um, and just search for my name or scroll to my name on the app, and uh, you'll see amongst the various series, one entitled Begin Again, and that will take you in a series of podcasts through his life and his spiritual teaching. That's the Discerning Hearts app. It's all free. Everything about Discerning Hearts is free. And then there is, well, this audience saw doesn't need me to say it. Uh, there is the documentary that you uh, saw during the break, if you were able to watch it, entitled No Chafing, Now I Begin. And it's up on YouTube. You can find it anytime you want. Just do a search for uh, Lanteri No Chafing, and it will come right up. And then finally, there is also a recording of a two-day retreat that I did on this material. So this is um, audio CDs and an MP3 download. And uh, all of that, all of these materials are available through my website, which is just fathertimothygallagher.org. And the website for the canonization of uh, Venerable Bruno is this other website, brunolanteri.org, which you can approach um, if you want to send in intentions of prayer, we pray for people who ask for Venerable Bruno's uh, intercessions. A lot of these come in. And you can also send in word of any graces received through his intercession. But there's a lot of material on his life there as well. Now, the final thing that I want to do is uh, an exercise, a brief exercise of prayer together around beginning again. But I'm going to interrupt at this point and... Um, We'll open things up for any questions that, uh, that you have. So, Father Coulter, shall I uh, stop the share here or shall I leave this open? How shall we do this? Yeah, I think we stop the share. Mm -hmm. I'm right. grateful for, to Father Coulter for uh, having all this go so smoothly. It's uh, only the second time I've done this, and I'm just impressed at how smoothly everything has gone. 
Yep, we have uh, several questions. So um, the first one from Kathy wonders if you have an act of hope, a vocal prayer that you recommend when slipping into despair, words that help to reject the desolation to move into that begin again confidence. It's a great question, Kathy, and probably one that others have as well. I think the answer to that question is personal. So let me answer it personally, and then I'll make a broader point. Do I have certain prayers that I make uh, at such times? As I mentioned earlier, I will probably first turn to Jesus and then to Mary. And these are very simple, unstudied prayers. It may be as simple as, um, Jesus, I'm sitting here at my desk trying to work and I'm discouraged and feeling desolate. I don't have energy for the work that I'm doing. Please be with me. Uh, help me to get through this well. And very easily and fairly quickly, I'll also turn to Mary, just because I've experienced so many times how this kind of prayer, these simple prayers of petition. If anyone listening uh, knows St. Ignatius of Loyola's rules for the discernment of spirits, you'll recognize his sixth rule and the first of his tools in time of spiritual desolation, which is simply prayer of petition, simply from the heart, asking God's help. Um, in fact, uh, if anyone is struggling with any kind of spiritual discouragement in any way, and, but we all do at times, I do and you do, you do as well, I really warmly recommend getting to know Ignatius of Loyola's rules for the discernment of spirits. And uh, if you'll forgive me, I'll mention my own materials. I'm not here to uh, promote my own materials, but there is a reason why I produce them. And I've written uh, several books on uh, on those rules and also done series of podcasts, which you can find in the same places as the other resources that I mentioned. But I can promise you this, if you get to know those rules, you will never regret the time that you put into them. And you'll see the difference that they will make in your lives. Those of us who do know them already know exactly what I'm speaking about. Okay, clo close that parentheses. Um, some people have more formal prayers that they like to say. And maybe Bible verses that speak to people. Sometimes people will share with me their favorite Bible verses. It's one reason why people love Psalm 23 so much. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Though I walk in a dark valley, I fear no evil. Or Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Um, one man told me it's um, uh, Paul's words. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. So... But my first point, my first answer is personal. I do this in a very unstudied way, turning most often first to Jesus, then to Mary. Sometimes these days more consciously to the Father and the love that I know there that is there and the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but my, my second broader point is that each one of us can find his or her own way. This is my recommendation. If you can imagine a bow and arrow and here is a man um, uh, ready to, to fight his enemy with his bow and arrow. And he has slung over his shoulder a quiver with the arrows in the, uh, in the quiver that he'll need to, to fling at the enemy who is attacking him. Spiritually do the same. Have your spiritual quiver filled with the arrows that you will fling at that discouragement. Know what simple prayers or Bible verses one woman told me that she had what she called her anti-desolation song, a hymn that she would sing in time of discouragement. 
have those ready and then you can fling them, Venerable Bruno would say immediately, against the discouragement when you find it in rising. Great question. Caitlin asks a somewhat similar um, when dealing with negative moods in the spiritual life. Obviously, Venerable Bruno mentioned those practices of meditation, spiritual reading, and examine, but any other counsels for engaging in the continual warfare against negative moods? It's another great question, and it's a very broad question. So what I'm going to do is just suggest some, some possible tools. And then, uh, Kate, Caitlin, you or anyone else listening, we can see how these may apply. Could you find uh, a good, wise, and competent spiritual director or guide with whom to speak? A conversation like that is worth its weight in gold if you can find someone like that. Sometimes, I know it's not always easy to find, but it's worth the effort. Even if it's just one or two conversations, it can make a real difference in our lives. I think the sacrament of confession is undervalued uh, these days. Um, everywhere where my community is, we, uh, we hear a lot of confessions when people know that it's available and they'll be received well, because there's a deep need in our hearts Confession is available. If spiritual direction may be hard to find sometimes, confession is always available, or it will be soon, please God, when things get better with regard to the virus. Um, find a good confessor, one who isn't simply in a hurry, one who listens well, and whom, even though he may have just a short time because there are other people waiting, is willing to say maybe even just a couple sentences of spiritual guidance to you. And if you can go regularly to that confessor and that relationship can be very, very strengthening as time goes by. Obviously prayer itself, things that we've been saying today, the more prayer is a part of your life, the closer you are to Jesus in the Eucharist and the scriptures and the daily life of prayer, the more strength that you're gonna find against uh, discouragement and desolation. Saint, uh, not, not Saint here, but um, uh, Pope Benedict XVI in his lovely encyclical on hope says uh, very beautifully that prayer is the school of hope. The more we become people of prayer, the more we will find hope flooding into our hearts. Try not to be too alone. Uh, that's, I kind of began there with spiritual direction, if we can find that, or even confession in its own way. But if there are just um, people who aren't going to try to be your formal spiritual director, but uh, family members, friends with whom you can share uh, engagement again as it becomes possible in the life of the parish. That's why we have a parish, so that we can walk with each other on this journey towards salvation. Try not to be too alone. Um, reach out for helpful, supportive, strengthening kinds of relationships that can encourage you. Now, because of the, the truth that it's been classically said that grace presupposes and builds on nature, what, what's happening just on the natural level in our humanity may have a part to play in the discouragement. If we recognize certain patterns of discouragement and maybe if they get pretty heavy at times, then it might be worth considering um, a conversation or two with a, a, a solid and professionally competent Catholic counselor just to learn. I've seen beautiful things happen this way at times in people's lives. The eagle flies with two wings. When we're using the human, natural, 
emotional resources in a, in a wise way and at the same time the spiritual tools you see wonderful patterns of growth happen now that won't always be necessary for everyone um, but if there are are pronounced and um, really burdensome patterns of discouragement in our lives it might be something to consider finally i would say know that our good fridays like jesus when we bear them with jesus lead to Easter Sundays. That is, our sufferings are not empty. Our sufferings make up, as Paul says, what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of the body. There will be a reward. This was another one of the sayings of Venerable Bruno that we didn't get to, that he learned from this Father Diesbach, the spiritual director that I mentioned. Father Diesbach had a difficult life in many ways, courageously served the Lord wonderful, wonderful man, wins you over as you get to know get to know him. And he had a little phrase, I'll say it in Italian, in paradiso paga per tutto, paradise pays for everything. That is, our suffering is not empty. It's not just a cruel, blind fate without meaning. But when we bear it faithfully with the Lord, like his Good Friday, it's leading to an Easter Sunday, some of which we will see in this life as we see the growth in our lives, uh, or through us as our lives become increasingly a blessing for others, and probably most of which we will only see in eternity. So it's a good and solid road. But I would say use the human and spiritual tools, and um, they make a real difference. So a couple questions just with that not becoming discouraged about how we kind of fall into the same sins. Um, Tammy would ask it this way. We know we're supposed to abandon the past to the Lord's mercy, but how can we move from just saying the words to really believing that? Well, you're all asking such great questions. And that question, that clearly comes from the heart. So I, I, I want to reverence that question. It's not a speculative question, but how can we really do this? The beautiful thing about the spiritual life is that most of it doesn't depend on us. If I had a pie chart here, you know, um, even this doesn't work, but let's say 99.5% of it is what God does and 0.5% of it is what we do. The, the wonderful thing about the spiritual journey is that the heavy burden is not on our shoulders. That's the grace that's won by Jesus for us. So the most important thing to do is to open our hearts to receive that grace from the Lord Jesus. Ask for it. Because we have a promise. Ask and you will receive. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Ask for it and don't get discouraged. Uh, probably a grace like this, God can do anything, but probably a grace like this is going to come gradually over time. Very important. And I'm just repeating Venerable Bruno here, never get discouraged. And then I won't repeat everything that I said earlier, but use those tools, the human and the spiritual tools. Know that it's mostly God's work. Ask for it with great confidence. You're a beloved son and a beloved daughter of a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He knows how to give good gifts to his children, as Jesus says. Never get discouraged. Never let yourself simply sink into that. I'd say take those words, begin again, and print them up and put them on your wall. 
where you're going to see them every day. Maybe read Venerable Bruno on this. I think you probably would find that helpful too. And then go forward with this, uh, just never giving up on it. Um, we'll see. There's more I wanted to say. It's gone right now. We'll see if it comes back as we continue. Great. So there's a couple of questions on basically applying the principles for Ignatian discernment to kind of everyday life and in practical ways. Um, for example, one person, they're in a new state in life. How can they know what their mission is now? There is a level in questions like this. There are two levels in questions like this. One is the general level of spiritual teaching about such things. And the other is the level of the individual's circumstances. The clearest answer to that specific question would be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation when we could look at all the different circumstances. And unfortunately, in this kind of setting, I can't speak to it. I would warmly recommend that if a person feels the need for that kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation that the person might find that wise and competent spiritual person that I mentioned and try to have that conversation. Now, what I can say in terms of general principles on the basis of the question is, if God has called any one of us to a given vocation, in my case, religious priesthood, um, there'll be a number of us whom God has called to marriage, some of us will be called by God right now to the single condition and to love and serve him in that setting, uh, religious life, whatever the setting is, then we know very clearly that God wills that the person live faithfully the components, the commitments of that vocation. So that, that's very clear. Uh, if one of us is a mother of children, obviously a mother's love for her children is clearly something that God wills and all that that entails or a priest uh, in charge of a parish, the faithful service of his people. If it's a man who is working to earn a livelihood for himself and for his family, obviously this is something clearly that God wills. Our involvement in the church is clearly something that God wills, a life of prayer and so on. So we can take a cue for many, many of these kinds of questions, a cue to the answer from the state in life to which God has called us and in which we find ourselves now. God will always want that we be faithful to the various elements that are part of that. I recognize that doesn't answer all the questions because there are choices sometimes that are between good things that we're free to choose. And we're not sure, does God want the family to stay here or move elsewhere? Should I take this new job or remain where I am and so forth? Uh, if I may, I'll refer you to other materials where I've gone into these questions in depth. One of the books is uh, Discerning the Will of God an Ignatian Guide to Christian Decision-Making. And there is a corresponding set of, um, of podcasts on discerning heart, discerning hearts, which I believe are entitled Discerning the Will of God. Um, but you can easily, if you, if you go on Discerning Hearts and look up the series of podcasts, you'll quickly identify the one that's there. So I'd like to refer the, the one who's asked this question to the more complete answers that you can find there. So Bernadette has an interesting question. How do we know when not to speak words out loud or write them in our journal so that the enemy doesn't know our thoughts unless we're speaking it out to renounce the enemy? Right, I'm gonna answer that in the light of the classic teaching in this regard, which ultimately comes from St. Thomas Aquinas and the scholastic teaching. 
which is that only God has immediate access to the real deep spiritual core of the human person. Only God has immediate access to our wills and to our minds. The enemy, the evil one, uh, has no access directly to that. And that's very helpful to know that because it just eliminates a lot of fears. The enemy always has to work through more exterior dimensions of our humanity. So through the imagination, uh, through the memory, calling to mind certain memories or so on, uh, in various ways through the physical dimension of our humanity. So I'd say my, my, my um, basic answer to that question is, um, well, I guess I'm quoting uh, St. John Paul II here. That's a fear we don't need to have. Um, so I, 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 I simply would not be afraid of that. The Lord is not going to let the evil one into any space that you have not opened up to him. And this space you are clearly defending against him. So I would simply not have that fear. Let's see, maybe one more question because I don't want uh, things to go too long here. And then we'll have our final prayer. All right, we'll do an easy question. Uh, Lynn wants to know if you consider getting your voice back to be a miracle due to the intercessory prayers of Venerable Bruno. Well, thank you, Lynn. Um, to my mind, there's no question about it. Uh, it's just, it's, it's not a coincidence that I had repeated surgeries, repeated relapses until I began saying this prayer. And then uh, since I've begun saying it, I still have to take proper care of my voice. The voice has been through five surgeries, but by taking proper care of it, I'm able to do all of my ministry um, really without limitation. To my mind, there's just no question that this is a grace received through the intercession of Venerable Bruno. Would the church approve this as a miracle on which to move forward his cause of canonization? I don't think so because of lack of documentation and because another person might say, well, the body just healed itself, you know, in, in some way. So probably this would not meet the criteria, which are very exacting, in which the church says that this is clearly a miracle. Medicine has no explanation for this. Um, and it's attributable to the intercession of this person. So my own heart says yes, uh, probably on the exterior level, uh, there'd be more questions. But thank you, Lynn, for asking. Uh, now, may we move toward our conclusion, Father, or yes. Dean? So I'd like to invite us to conclude. I just want to say um, thank you for sharing this day. This is really wonderful to, um, to be with you in this way and to share this, this material. Uh, Father Gary knows this is the first time that I'm actually seeing myself all day. Uh, um, so it's kind of nice. Uh, I've been with you all day without actually seeing anyone, which is really uh, quite, uh, quite a remarkable thing. But I, I'm just so happy to have had the chance to share this with you. Well, if you'll take the handout, this will be on page 17 of the handout. So it's at the end, toward the end. Oh, we don't have that page, but you'll have to just lead okay. us without the handout. All right, and I will read the prayer out loud. I'm sorry. Um, I will read the prayer out loud. And this is uh, a litany to begin again. And uh, it was just a few months ago that uh, I had a retreat based on this material. And uh, of course we were able to do it in person then. And we had a, a group sharing, a personal prayer and then a small group sharing. 
And in the course of one of those sharings, one woman shared a prayer that she had written. What she'd done is to go through this handout and she looked at all the different places where Venerable Bruno speaks about beginning again. And she pulled out the various ways in which he said this and put them together as a litany, uh, as a prayer to ask of the Lord the grace to begin again. Um, I would like to make this available, Father, maybe afterwards. Yes. Well, I can send it out to everyone. Yes, definitely. And I ask uh, this woman's permission to share this, which she very happily gave. So I'll read it slowly, and I invite you to say it with me. You can say it out loud or in your heart as you find best. Lord Jesus, through the intercession of your mother Mary, I ask that I may begin immediately, that I may never fail to begin again, that I may begin again even without devotion, that I may begin each day, that I may begin every day, that I may begin every hour of the day, that I may say with boldness, now I begin, that I may begin humbly and with full confidence, that I may begin with holy tenacity, that I may begin with faith, that I may begin with gentleness, that I may begin with peace, that I may decide always to begin, that I may begin again firmly convinced that God forgives me, that I may rise immediately and begin again, that I may always and in every moment begin again, that I may begin again to trust, that I may begin again to hope, that I may begin again to love. Venerable Bruno, pray for me. Amen. So God's blessings. Thank you, Father, for uh, guiding the day uh, so smoothly. And my thanks to all who have participated. And maybe I'll conclude here by giving a blessing to all of us here present. Heavenly Father, we ask for the warmth of your love and the light of your hope upon all of us who have shared this day. Mary, with very willing hearts, we entrusted this day to you as we began. We entrust to you now its grace as we move forward. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you very much to Father Gallagher for his generosity in sharing this message with us today on overcoming spiritual discouragement. And just thank you to all of you for joining us here at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. That reminder again, our website, goodcouncilretreat.com. If you want to see any of our future retreats, find recordings of past retreats. I'll just mention next week, we do have another virtual online retreat with Father Jim Morin on a very similar topic, prayer for the bored, the anxious, the distracted. So if you found this helpful today, you might want to come back next Saturday. Or in two weeks, we have uh, Peter and Debbie Hervick doing one for families and couples on building family relationships. So those are just a few of the upcoming online retreats. And so we always uh, want to provide those experiences to be available for you. And so we just thank again, Father, and, and of course, pray for all of you 